Producer Dave here with a hot tip for a new podcast, The Score, Bank Robber Diaries. This is a true crime podcast told from the criminal's point of view. Check out the first episode, which is out right now. Just search for The Score, Bank Robber Diaries in your favorite podcast app. And make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, the retrial of Henry Segura is underway in Florida. Did he massacre his ex-lover and her three kids just to avoid paying child support? Or is he taking the blame for a drug cartel hit? We'll discuss the case so far and give a preview of the next big trial on Court TV. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinny Politan and Seema Iyer. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. Great to have you aboard. I'm Vinny Politan, former prosecutor, along with Seema Iyer, sitting across the table from me today, who is also a former prosecutor. And then the criminal defense defense attorney. Right, right. I'm not going to use my dark side comment that I usually do. I know. We're in like, what, (laughs) episode 12? Can we stop with the dark side? I'm not counting how many episodes. I just enjoy our time here because it it gives us an an opportunity to dive just a little bit deeper into everything. And I think be more ourselves. And uh, it's just, it's like a little vacation every week. She just doesn't like to wear makeup. That's, <laughs> I really that's, let's hate get to the truth makeup. of the whole thing. She loves the content. She loves talking law, but I she do. just hates the makeup. Thank, no, I thank you for saying that because I love all the work that we get to do at Core TV. I love the research. I love preparing for the shows, but, but you, you do, you know me so well. I cannot stand. And it's interesting because I've worked with people in the past who it's the opposite. They love the <laughs> makeup and the pampering and the, you know, the dressing up and all that. And then they really don't like to dive into the issues. Yeah, which, you really. Which is nice. So this is, this is very nice. No, I, it's so funny. I had that moment yesterday where I was really fact, psyched to come to work. I'm except... wearing more makeup than you right now, probably. <laughs> Okay, so the big trial that we're covering now is Florida versus Henry Segura. And I love this case because it has everything. It has DNA. It has adorable children, which makes this a tragedy. But it also has gang members. It has snitches. It has drug cartels. And not just any drug cartel, Vincent. No, Mexican drug cartel, which has turned into a viable defense in this case. Well, let's talk about it this a little bit. Henry Segura has been charged with quadruple murder, okay? The murder of his girlfriend, her twin daughters, just six years old, and the son that they shared together, who was just three, little Javante. So there's a lot at stake here. And and when all this happened, this was a horrible, horrific murder in Tallahassee. And it happened a long time ago. It was November 20th, 2010. And this is a retrial. What we're doing now is a retrial. It happened in 2010. It took seven years for this to go to trial. And partly maybe because it wasn't until 2015 when all the DNA was tested. And back in 2015, there were about 200 samples of DNA, not one connecting to the defendant, Henry Segura, not one. Right. Well, that's but he but he was there. 
here's here's the thing. Like DNA is often used to place someone at a scene when you can't prove that they were there, but we know he was there. So to me, the he DNA is was, important, but it's not it's not the whole case because he was there. He was having sexual intercourse with Brandy Peters. That's his story, yes. That's his story, correct. Right. So at the at the time of the murder, um the, the the victim, Brandy Peters, the mother of these three beautiful children. Absolutely gorgeous. She it's was very active on her phone. Very active on her phone. Right? Yes. Like like many people are. Sure. But all the activity on her phone ends when the defendant leaves her house. That's right. And that's around 8 o'clock at night. Right. And the timeline is at, at issue here between the prosecution and the defense. And... Listen, there's a lot of things that are different, though, and I, I just want to kind of clarify for our listeners that the first trial, which was in 2017, that ended with an eight to four split to wait for it. Say it. Say it. Uh, uh, say uh, it. Uh, 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 you don't even know uh, the A word. Acquit. OK, there to you acquit. go. Yeah. Eight to four to acquit. Uh, the a big difference in this trial is that some DNA was retested or different tests were done. And now there is at least one sample and testimony that will show that there is, there's some DNA consistent with Henry Segura. However, it was from the bathroom and the bathroom is also where his son, baby Javante was. So the defense is saying, okay, that DNA is consistent with Javante. Prosecution saying it's consistent with Segura. That's one difference in this trial. Another big difference, which is very controversial decision by the defense, six-person jury. Yeah, that's uh, I, I don't understand that. This is a death penalty case. Fanatics. Because it's Fanatics. such a horrific quadruple murder, he's facing the death penalty. And the defense has chosen to have just six jurors rather than 12 uh, sit in judgment. And I think the reason is, is, is they're uh, confident, perhaps a little overconfident, that they're going to win. They believe it'll be a lot easier to convince six of not guilty than 12. And they don't want another um, hung jury because he's in jail. Not one of our colleagues and not one of the guests that I've had, all of these great lawyers that I have on, nobody, nobody thinks this is a good decision. Do you? No, I, I think it's very risky, but uh, I, I'm a former prosecutor, so maybe it is a really good decision. Okay, and I'm saying, <laughs> you know, a lot of our guests are uh, are criminal defense, for, criminal defense attorneys as well as former prosecutors. Everyone, no one understands. It's it's insane. Okay, so another big difference in the retrial is James Carlos Santos. Yeah, who, this is the guy who claims to be some sort of uh, vice lords, vice lords, drug kingpin, cartel member who is like the godfather and is calling out uh, uh, the hit on this mother and her three children. And he's trying to take responsibility for it. But prosecutors investigated it and they're not buying it. Do you watch the show Power? No. Okay, you I have to start watching. I watched one episode. I couldn't oh get God. through it. Are you crazy? Couldn't get through I, it. I can't get out of the house. I, no. I, I, it's one of those, it's probably the only show I binge watch. But anyway, a lot, also a lot of our guests and a lot of the people who work in the newsroom think that this trial is a lot like power because power is very diverse. So you have like different ethnic groups, different gang members, you have drug cartels. It's, it's just, and you have all these like, love stories that intersect it's so good you really need to start watching it but okay putting that aside for yeah, a second let's put that aside okay, just i don't put, have time to watch it right now okay but when you do you're gonna watch it 
But here's, and this is a really important part, because I said it's not just about like the drugs and the gangs and the killings and the drugs. It is about there are these intersecting love stories on power. Similar to our friend Henry Segura, who is like a playa playa. I mean, this guy has ex-girlfriends parading in and out of the courtroom, but no one has made an impression on the jury or court TV like one Miss Tyra. Let's listen to a little of Miss Tyra on direct. Just prior to the uh, murders that we're here for today, did mm. you talk to him about a gun? Yes. What did he say? He came to my house and asked, could you use my gun? you have a gun? I have several. All right. Did you let him use your gun? Of course not. My name on it. That's my girl, Ms. Tyra Wilcoxon. Okay, but didn't love what Ms. Tyra had to say. Well, I, I did because basically it lays out that the defendant was looking for a gun before the murder, and he wants a gun that's not uh, connected to him. So he's trying to get a gun that's connected to someone else. But Tyra is a little bit smarter than uh, Henry Segura and says, no, you cannot use my gun because the way she testified, it was clear that she suspected he was going to use it for an illegal purpose. So she did not give him a gun. And just to be clear, I know we mentioned this. We're going to say it again. So the prosecution's theory is that this is all about back child support. However, defense is saying there was another woman in his life because our Henry Segura is a player player. And this other woman, she also had $20,000 back child support owed to her, but no one ended up dead. Okay, so Ms. Tyra goes on and uh, talks about another type of gun. Listen to this. He asked me, could he use one of my gun? And I told him, like, if I come across something in the street, you know, like a burning gun, I'll let him know. Because, of course, we were cool. Uh, hey. A, a burner gun is like, my name ain't on it, somebody in the street selling a gun or, you know, like, uh, just a gun in the street. So you're talking about a street gun, one that's not connected to you? Not connected to me, yeah. And you told me you let him know, but did you ever give him a gun like that? No. And this is uh, the defendant's friend, by the way. Well, hold on a second. The defendant's this friend. This is also an ex-girlfriend who went and told his wife about their affair. Right. Well, was that the truth? Did what? they have the affair? What? Is what she told the I'm wife sorry, the truth? I'm sorry, my earphones aren't yes. working today. <laughs> so say what you want about Tyra. She just speaks the truth. Sometimes the truth is a little ugly. Sometimes it can, it can be a little harmful. But it's the truth. And the truth is Henry Segura was looking for a gun. The truth is Henry Segura was cheating on his wife. And, and Tyra talked about all of it. Okay, right. But Tyra also had a few ulterior motives. Uh, defense tried to explore this on cross-examination. Take a listen. I know that crime stoppers don't read emails. They don't reply. I changed the IP address. I sent an email, everything I know. That's what I did. I didn't talk to anyone. And that was going to be my, like, if something was ever to hit the fan with me or him, that was my alibi. That was my discovery. That was everything. On that day that I found out, that's what I did. You contacted Crime Stalkers, yes, that's I correct? A, I wrote a letter, an email. You read a letter. So you contacted a national organization that yes. pays people for information. Yes. And so the information that you provided to Crime Stoppers, you didn't contact the local law enforcement. No. You contacted Crime Stoppers. Yes, I did. Come on. She's smart. This is why she's doing it. It's an she's, she's also... It's an insurance policy. She's also trying to get paid. Just, well, no, yeah, whatever. But how about this? The fact, did you listen to her words, what she said, 
Again, I told you, Tyra speaks the truth. I she watched Tyra insur- Wilcoxon on a loop. Like she, every day I watch her. She knows. I love her. She knows Henry's up to no good. Oh. And if Henry gets jammed up and tries to inculpate Finney, she her. she has like three boyfriends at all she's wait trying a to minute, hustle. Wait a minute. She everyone. knows that Henry's up to no good. That's why he wants a gun. And if he tries to wrap her up in the whole thing, she has her insurance policy, which was that email she sent to Crime Stoppers before ever being implicated by anyone in anything, telling the whole story. Okay, but Really? Just look at the case as a whole. Love Who, this woman. <laughs> look at we actually both agree on that. Look at the case as a whole. What motive are you buying more? Twenty thousand dollars back child support, drug cartel. Well, that's that's a that's a misleading uh, choice. It's a false choice. The choice is twenty thousand dollars in back child support, which would also free him to go overseas and make uh, six figures at a job that he wanted that his friend had. Okay, so it's a six figure job plus eliminating all the debt that he owed uh, uh, to the this child uh, that he's accused of killing. Okay, so that's like over you know one hundred twenty, hundred fifty thousand dollars versus a hundred thousand dollars to the drug cartel. Three years, at least three years after the the drugs or the money went missing. Which one do I buy more? Hmm. I just don't, I don't think there's anything consistent with Segura's testimony. Uh, I'm sorry, Segura's statements during his interviews, uh, his demeanor, nothing about him, nothing about this motive that makes me feel he did it. Well, let's take a look at Henry Segura circa 2010, like the jury did in their video interviews. When we come back, we'll listen to a little bit of what Henry Segura said back in the day before he was charged with murder, before he was facing the death penalty. Hi, everyone. It's producer Dave, and I just wanted to tell you about a new podcast you should be listening to. We've all watched documentaries or listened to podcasts about the big-time serial killers, and we all think to ourselves, thank goodness terrible things like that never happened in my town. Well, one thing I've learned working at Court TV is sometimes they do. Sometimes the worst monsters live just around the corner, and that's why everyone is fascinated by small-town murder stories. Well, luckily, there's a podcast that dives into all the massacres you never knew about. Small Town Murder is a true crime podcast that brings some levity to some of the most brutal and gruesome killings that happen in small towns the world over. The hosts are comedians, but trust me, they do their research and do a great job of taking you to each small town and the unthinkable crimes that occurred there. Small Town Murder releases new episodes every Thursday just like us. So head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts and search for Small Town Murder. So everyone knows you have the right to remain silent. You don't have to say anything. You can ask for a lawyer. Then why do people talk to cops all the time? Well, because they think they're smarter than the police. They think they yeah. can talk them their, their way out of anything. And Henry Segura is no. primo, prime no. example of this. No, he's not. Henry Segura, back in 2010, is interviewed by police on uh, two occasions. He's interviewed on the day that they find his little uh, boy, Javante, and Javante's sisters, Tamaya and Tanaya, and their mother, Brandy Peters, dead in that home in Tallahassee. And he's also interviewed 10 days later after police do a little bit of an investigation. And in that second interview, they're asking uh, Henry Segura about his other cell phone. 
Yeah. And he says, oh, okay, but just well, wait, I don't have a second cell phone. Wait, wait. Well, well, no, I don't have a second cell wait, phone. Wait, wait, wait. You're you are starting this whole segment putting him out there like he's someone who thinks he can outsmart the cops. And that's just not how he came across. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, he it did not. You his body language, his the volume of his voice, how he spoke to the cops. I really think that he came across as someone who thought it was just the right thing to do to talk to the cops, number one. And number two, he may have been fearful. Why? You Close can't your keep mouth. A, you can't Why keep a straight face open? trying to say that. I am. No, How I can't can keep you? a straight face looking at your face. I was home I'm all saying... day the day the murder. Check my cell phone. I was home he was, all day. Scared. Check I, my I think cell he, phone. He portrayed fear in that interview. Okay. Okay, but here's here, let me get, get to some facts first, so the folks uh, listening know the facts, so they can make their own determination. <laughs> so Henry Segura <laughs> is asked by police where he was at the time of the murder, the day of the murder, and he says, "I was home all day," and and you can check my cell phone because uh-huh. it, it was home, and police did check his cell phone, and it was home all day. The only funny thing about the cell phone was it wasn't used all day. <sighs> Who doesn't use their cell phone all day? Someone who's not home with their cell phone. So what they found out is that the victim in the case, Brandy Peters, was talking to someone on a, who, was, who was calling her on some other number, some number that was uh, investigators initially didn't know who it belonged to. So they traced it to Silas Thornton. And then Silas Thornton speaks to police and says, oh, yeah, that was the phone that I gave or was in the possession of Henry Segura. There was some story about it falling in water and had to be dried out, you know, whatever. Oh, did the, they do the rice trick? They, they did do the rice oh, yeah, trick. That works. They did do the that rice trick. For me. So, but the bottom line is it was Thornton's phone, but Segura had it. And Thornton said Segura had it the whole time. So now all of a sudden there is a second cell phone. This is the cell phone that Henry Segura, when asked if you have a second one, denies having. Why? Because that cell phone is at the scene of the crime at the time of the crime, according to the prosecution timeline in this case. Eight to four to acquit, babe. Eight to four to acquit. The first jury saw both of these interviews. I cannot be the only one who believes that he came across authentic. Well, let's let the folks at home decide here because uh, let's take a listen to a little bit. You know, we we could spend the rest of the podcast just playing his lies if you want. But instead of doing that, that what would we'll then do, mean we'd only have like a three minute podcast. If it, you want to just have a three minute podcast and jip all our listeners, sure, let's do that. Instead, you want to do that? Here's Henry Segura, and this is uh, in his interview talking about uh, what people are saying on the internet about him and his potential motive. I've been hearing about a bunch of stuff on the news and on the internet, but. Like, like what kind of stuff have you been reading? Someone said something about I got a. I had a key to her house, and uh, I couldn't afford to pay the child support, so I killed her before my wife would find out about her, because my wife didn't know about her, and just a bunch of stupid stuff. And stupid stuff called uh, motive. <laughs> it's not enough for motive. People don't kill, especially their own children. Or, okay, okay, Javante, one issue. His child. But even those two little girls, those twin girls, six years old, he just 
wasn't going to do it in that brutal, gruesome manner. Here's the facts are that someone did do it. It was it's one of the most horrific cases in the history of Tallahassee. People, you know, are putting this on the level of of, of Ted Bundy. I yeah. mean, it, it was that impactful to that community back in 2010, and and still uh, today. What happened to those children? You have a mother who was shot. One of the twins who was shot. Then you have uh, one of the twins is drowned, and then little Javante is drowned in the tub as well. So it's a brutal, brutal uh, scene, a yeah. horrific crime. And um, on the day where he's being interviewed uh, by police on all this and talking about how he found out about little Javante and everything, he's chuckling during the interview. People have different reactions to trauma. And you know who has the it worst reaction? It could be a nervous laughter. And it could be. It obviously could be. And he's lost another child, so I'm sure that he has, um, you know, he's, he's, he's a bit callous to this stuff, maybe to protect himself. I don't know, because I don't know the man. Um, I, don't, I don't spend a lot of time in Tallahassee. Don't know him. He's been locked up for the last 10 years, so haven't seen him. Uh, but Henry Segura did not come off as someone who felt like he was or appeared to be emotionally impacted by what happened in that house to his girlfriend, the mother of one of his children, one of his children, and those two little girls. And as a result, I think it's a problem for him. I'm not saying it makes him guilty, but it makes him very unlikable. I'm saying, and again, this is from my experience of seeing witnesses, cross-examining, direct-examining, all of that combined, interviewing victims, people react differently. You cannot peg your preconceived notions on how this man should react on him. Oh, I, I won't, but the, but the jury may. Um, but the other thing is the, the worst reactions that I've ever seen are from uh, criminal defendants who are convicted, like murderers. Okay. Like, like for instance, I bring him up all the time. He's one of my favorites. Rabbi Fred Newlander. Oh, right, 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 right. Right, came home. His wife was bludgeoned to death. He put the hit out on her so he knew she was dead. And, and, and responders came there, and he's just sitting outside the home, not a drop of blood on his pristine suit, mm-hmm. even though his wife was bludgeoned to death. Because he, he, he actually said the words, it was just too grotesque. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't touch her. Like, Oof. you wouldn't even check to see if she was alive, maybe. Right, right, right. You right. know what I mean? So, and, and, yeah. and the same argument was made in that trial, that all defendants react differently to horrific situations, and you can't judge them that way. But they do end up getting judged because that's the job of the jury is to judge people, judge their credibility, judge their actions, their reactions, what they do, what they don't do, how they act, how they react. And a big part of it for this jury, for this defendant, is going to be the way he was back in 2010 at the time all of this happened. Also, keep in mind that he testified at the first trial. So now, and he is expected to testify at his retrial. So he's going to have to wrap his head around that November 20th, 2010 statement, the one 10 days later on November 30th, and then his trial testimony from the first trial and this. So he's going to have to put all that together. Yeah, it's an uphill battle. uh, But if you are telling the truth, I believe it'll be a lot easier for him. I think it'll be much more difficult if he has to lie. I think and he, he knows what the truth is. Yeah, and I, I I think from what everything that we've looked at, the reason he had that second phone was just to keep the girlfriend separate from the wife. So he's going to have to explain that. Yeah, I, I'm sure that's why he did have the phone, although this girlfriend also had his other phone number. Huh. 
Did you know that? Oh, uh, Brandy Peters. Yeah. She also had yeah. the other, because she texted yeah. his cell phone that was home alone that day. Yes. The Macaulay Culkin phone that was yeah. home alone. Yes. So he's going to have to explain that. He's going to have to explain the gun, the burner gun, everything that Tyra Wilcox, and he's going to explain all of that. And that is expected to happen on the defense case. But you know what's also expected to happen on the defense case? Very exciting. James Carlos Santos. We're going to give you what we believe is a preview of James Carlos Santos, who is taking responsibility for ordering the hit on Brandy Peters and her children. We're going to talk about that next. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. Hey, Vinny, remember we were talking about the show Power? Yes, I was just watching it. Okay, <laughs> so just like in Power, there is a witness that we are expecting to testify at this trial who reminds me of one of those characters, but sadly, he's not as good-looking. Power is a really good-looking cast, and the only disappointment I have in this trial is that the people in this trial are not as attractive as the show. Well, But otherwise, I'm having a... I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I have not seen the, the show Power, but generally that's the way it is in Hollywood is that the people are good looking. Even I know. If, even Isn't if they're it criminals, whatever uh, uh, role in life they have. Here's the thing about uh, Santos is this guy writes a lot of letters. Oh, I got Why don't here. you share with the folks at, at, at home? <laughs> this is fun. Okay. What it's like, for, for, for just before you read one. Yes. What type of criminal defendants write lots of letters? Uh, ones with time on their hands. Right, but what other kind? Uh, guilty ones. What other kind? Uh, narcissistic ones. Or, or ones that are a little bit off, may have some mental issues they're dealing well, with. I don't oh, know. Oh, come on. That. My father was a federal judge, and he would oh, get yeah. hundreds and I hundreds bet. of sure. letters from these federal inmates, and one is wackier than the next. Well, and I a have... lot of them are. Off the wall. James Carlos Santos wrote this letter to the Honorable Judge James Hankinson, who's presiding over this trial, and you will love this opening line. The Honorable Judge James Hankinson. It's funny. My name is James as well. <laughs> Judges love that. That, that, that really, Creepy. Yeah, it's, it's creepy, it's wacky, and it and shows me someone who... I don't know if they're really all there. And if, let's say you, because the defense attorney got a lot of letters from James Carlos Santos as well, would you find this concerning? The letter starts off with, I hope that this letter finds you doing well. <laughs> this is someone who is taking credit for ordering a massacre. Yeah. he's. It, but That's, to me, I, I look at letters from inmates with a grain of salt. Well. Because they have time, and a lot of them are a little bit off. Listen, we could have fun all day long in reading his little quotes or how he signs his letters, the real Carlos the pilot. I'm not following that. But let's get to some substance, okay? Because if you look at his letters, right. he peppers them with corroboration of evidence that has been discovered in this crime. Now, for instance, in the same letter to the judge, he says, uh, he mentions the name Angel Aviles 
Quinones, Angel Avila Quinones, excuse me. And he says uh, that Angel did not deal with these guys. He was dealing with me. I want to point out to the DNA that was found at the crime scene. There is DNA of someone named Angel Avila Quinones. Okay. How did he know that? I, I don't know. Okay. I don't but know I'm which which came first. I don't know. They, corroboration, they, a little co- corroboration. That they've got to prove it to me in court. Absolutely. Okay. Hang on. I've got more. So they also there's and that also DNA was found. What was was that the DNA from the, the phone? bedroom? The bedroom. Yeah, phone? yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Okay. okay. So then there's also a line here, and again, this man James Carlos Santos is saying that he ordered the hit on Brandy Peters and. Her children, because Brandy Peters was skimming money off her bosses, the drug cartel Losetas. Right, but it was like three years ago. Three, three years, years prior to this, yes. At least three years prior to this. At least, because she worked there two, 2004, 2007. According to Santos. And then the hit was 2010. Right. Okay. According to Santos. According to Santos, but also there is a another line in one of his letters, and he says to the judge, also, you said that everything that I said was hearsay, hearsay spelled H-E-R-E-S-A-Y, and could not be used, well, show me in this case, where you all knew that she worked for Losetas before I made the something. Okay, the point is, no, no, I I think maybe the call, but okay, you got my point. He invokes the name Losetas. How does he know that? This is clue number two that he's telling the truth. Okay, that would be important, but uh, I've I've got to see all of this in court. Right now, just reading letters from inmates. Is is that the same letter where he tells the defense attorney that the problem with his guy, meaning Henry Segura, is that he likes women with big butts? Oh, God, that's my favorite line. Hold on. It's the Sir Mix-a-Lot defense. The prosecutor has taken an everyday working Joe who happens to like big butt girls and made him a killer man. That is funny. Yeah. Oh, my God, Um, that's my favorite line. Okay, but wait, wait, I have more proof. I have more proof. There is another letter, and this is to uh, Segura's defense attorney, Nate Prince, it's dated October 17, 2016. All of these letters, by the way, were around that time of 2016. Uh, and it says, this man did not murder Brandy, not over $20,000. $20,000 was no money to Brandy. She made that in a weekend. So there. Yeah, she made that in a weekend. So, wait, no, you're not, you're not following. Are you not following? $20,000. How does he know that fact? That is another clue that he is actually telling the truth because it is connected to the motive put forth by the prosecution. The, yeah, which means he's doing a lot of research from inside on the case and reading a lot of articles At about the, law the case. At the law library. Yeah, That's well, exactly, because he's got time. So he's researching this case. So, you know, what does he know independently and what does he know from reading the Internet and researching? I, wait, no. How is he going to get Angel's name? Angel Avila Quinones. Let's see. Let's see. I mean, uh, prosecutors investigated all this. They didn't find the connection. That's that's what I understand. The other thing he writes in one of his letters is that he believes that his own attorney is in cahoots with the DA, right? Oh, they all think that. Well, well, there's and that's not true. Yeah, starting with the conspiracy. We know that's not true. Okay. Do you do you recognize that he may have uh, a genuine desire to change his life and do something? That is right. Santos? Yeah. 
No, he wants to take credit for a bunch of murders that people don't believe he committed. Hold on a second. Isn't that why he Calm put a, down. Isn't that why he put a hit out on the on the uh, district attorney in, in Fulton County, Georgia? I don't know. Isn't I wasn't why, there. I don't isn't know. Isn't that why he put a hit letters. out on the governor of Florida? I don't know. I can't only Guy's speak. A loose cannon. I, I, listen, I only speak of what I know, Vincent. I must sure. apologize to you and Henry. I cannot let him go to death row for capital crimes that he did not commit, not even to save my own life. What is that? That's so nice. Yeah. You don't think that's so nice? Well, let, let, wait, wait, wait. Prosecutors Sweet. investigated this, okay? So let's let's put ourselves in the shoes of the prosecution. The prosecution wants to solve a crime. That's what they want to do. They want to arrest and successfully prosecute the person who is responsible for the death of this entire family. You and you've got a man who said, and you've got a man who is allegedly confessing to this and giving information, which was then followed up for, followed up by uh, the investigators. So if that information led to Santos, they would have arrested him. You already said that this is one of the most horrific crimes that ever occurred in Tallahassee. Yes. So you have to recognize there is some political motivation to stick with the script it's easier it's easier to prosecute someone who has confessed confessed than someone who has not confessed not if if the evidence if the evidence connected to this confession and was corroborated then prosecutors would have switched gears and gone after him it's an easier prosecution the man is confessing okay so uh now i don't you were never a defense attorney but we used to get a lot of letters like this calm down go ahead how would you feel if someone wrote this to you, okay? This says Mr. Prince, but let's just pretend it says Mr. Politan. I come to you today saying that it's a lawyer's job to zealously represent the client's interest against all the world. And at the same time, to respect the dignity of the court. I have sought to find effective ways to communicate in this emotionally charged environment. Very, he sounds very educated, very flowery uh, writing. I, I would be very impressed, and, and then I would give it to my associate and say, "Take care of this," because I don't want anything to do with it. Okay, now, I, again, and this is this is really the pinnacle of his displaying that he is a changed man. Okay, all right, here we go. Decades ago, I had built an emotional rampart against empathy for the hardships of others not close to me, but. This new alien feeling of human compassion worries me. Maturation is occurring. I am becoming a person with a heart. Gradually, I am beginning to gain fresh perspective on my unkind and puzzling life. Okay. I think uh, it, there's, a, there's a Latin phrase called, what is it, reipsiloquitur? The yeah. thing speaks for itself. Yeah. I think this thing speaks for itself. This guy is a little detached from reality, you know, a little self-grandiose, a guy who's looking for attention and perhaps is looking for a trip to Tallahassee, Florida. All right. So we'll see. We'll see how it all turns out. I cannot wait. But again, he'll be the key witness in the whole thing. Okay? He is the key to this case. But the key to the next case... The next big trial on Court TV, we're going to talk about that. Uh, Dr. Teresa Sievers was yes. bludgeoned to death. The man who hammered her and, and, and knocked her out and took her life from her in her own home has already admitted what he's done, and it's the best friend of her husband. That's right. But he says the husband is cool with it. Because it was actually his idea, and now Mark Sievers is on trial. We're going to Finally. Talk, we're going to talk about that when we come back.
For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. Dr. Teresa Seavers was bludgeoned to death in her own home. She was a successful doctor, a holistic type healer. She had a very successful practice. She was married to a man named Mark. They had beautiful children together, living a wonderful life. At the time she was bludgeoned to death, she was home alone because her husband and her children were at the in, at their in-law's house, which was her parents' uh, house up in Connecticut after a family celebration. So she was home alone, gets bludgeoned to death by Mark Seaver's best friend. Yeah. Curtis Wright, his best friend in the world, and, and also his doppelganger. Is, yeah, they do look a lot alike. And this really came out of nowhere in the sense that I listened to interviews uh, that the police did with both the moms. So Mark Seaver's mom, as well as Dr. Teresa Seaver's mom. And both of these mothers were saying that they had a great life. You know, uh, Mark Seaver's worked at her medical practice, uh, beautiful kids. She was a devoted mom. She was a devoted spouse. This was a shock to these family members. Absolutely. And the shock continues. There was one trial already, not the trial of the actual killer, Curtis Wright, but Jimmy Rogers, a man who writes as he brought into the whole scheme to help him. And he was convicted of second degree murder. So that case is done. However, now is the trial of Mark Seavers because Curtis Wright says that Mark Seavers is the one who orchestrated all this. It was his idea, his plot, his plan to get rid of his wife. And one big motive? Right. Millions and millions in life insurance. I just think that this jury is going to come to a conclusion a lot quicker than Jimmy Ray Rogers. Because Jimmy Rogers, that jury was out for a while, and we really weren't sure why they came back with second-degree murder, which seemed like it could have been a compromise. It seemed like they didn't believe that, that they believed that he was there, but they don't necessarily believe that he was actively um, bludgeoning well, Teresa Seavers. if you look at the law. I, that's why I think it was a compromise. I think half thought one thing, half thought the other, and they compromised on the second degree. I don't think they actually uh, agreed to the elements. But I think Mark Seavers is the one. I mean, he really is the one. It's the mastermind, the motive. Everything is on his shoulders. Absolutely, and it's a death penalty case. Right. Seeking the death penalty against Mark Seavers. Do you think he's going to testify? Um, I'm not sure. And, and, and he may testify. Uh, I don't think he has any sort of history, any sort of criminal history. So he's uh, a lot cleaner as a as a mm-hmm. witness to be able to testify. Uh, but he may have to explain some things. But um, don't forget, the key witness yes. for the prosecution is the man who actually does the bludgeoning and who described exactly what he did in the first trial and will have to do it in the second trial. And perhaps because of the nature of who this guy is and who the deal was made with, uh, he won't testify. I'm not sure. But as I, I look at this case, to me, it is it is so tragic, so sad. 
uh, for the family. And you're talking about the mother that who who, who you listened to the interview yeah, of, and yeah. the sister of Dr. Teresa Sievers, both <gasps> oh, inside right. that courtroom, having to listen to this man who got an incredible deal uh, for a horrific crime that he committed. But prosecutors needed him to get to the mastermind because the, I believe the person who's most culpable in a case like this is the one who hires the hitman. More so oh, course, even than yeah. the hitman. Well, oh, not I everyone believes that. Some oh, people I, like, I do agree. He I didn't do actually kill anyone. No. I do believe that. I believe that. And and when they used to have the death penalty in New Jersey, that was an aggravating factor. It, it, it would make you eligible for the death penalty if you had actually hired someone to commit a murder. That's how um, uh, how bad that behavior is deemed. And, and, and I absolutely agree. Because if he doesn't want his wife murdered, uh, if you believe the prosecution theory here, it never happens. Right. It never happens. There'll be no reason for it. Now, one issue that didn't take a large part of the Jimmy Rogers trial was uh, the fact that the Seavers were swingers. And this will probably come out more during Mark Seavers' trial because... Well, because there's an allegation that Dr. Teresa Seavers um, may have thought about or talked about um, swinging with... Her husband's best friend slash doppelganger. Yeah. And he's the murderer. So does that somehow play into some sort of strange motive or relationship here? I could see the defense going down that road. And there have been motions. There was originally a motion by the defense to keep that information out. But now they've retracted that motion. So maybe they really want it in because it may go towards some way or means or manner of trying to give Rogers a reason independent of his best friend's wishes to want to kill uh, Dr. Seavers. Mark Seavers was in Connecticut, like you said. Wasn't there. uh, The vacation, he wasn't there. So he is geographically distant from the crime scene. So now he has got to use everything in his arsenal, swingers, uh, Rogers, right, just distance himself from this. And I think he may have a chance. He may. Uh, we shall see. It's the next big case on Court TV. And to watch Court TV, uh, you have to get Court TV. And to get Court TV, there's many different ways, many different platforms. One way are these digital antennas. And if you have one of these antennas, please rescan it. You that know, my means- sister just rescanned. She did. And now she has it. And now she's and got now Court she's TV. And now she's got like 24-7 Vinnie Politan. Boom. So you can watch these trials that we talk about on the podcast. You can actually, actually watch them. Yes. And a bonus, you can see SEMA wearing makeup (laughs) by the greatest makeup artists in the country absolutely for sure thanks for listening everyone thank you so much we'll see you next time this podcast is a production of court tv go to courttv.com for more content trials on demand and to find out how to watch court tv in your area